We're in a series over the past two weeks, this is our third week of the series um, entitled Follow. And uh, essentially we've been asking this question, what if we stripped away all of the, the kind of religion and expectations, man-made rules and social constructs that we've kind of added over the years to define what it means to follow Jesus? What would that look like if, if we kind of just uh, took away some of those things that, um, you know, we kind of have dumbed down over the years to think, well, okay, uh, if I just don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, or I just come to church on a weekly basis and check in and put that in, then, then, then everything's good and Jesus will like me. What if we placed ourselves in the shoes of the early followers of Jesus and learned through their eyes and learned from their experiences what it must have been like to follow Jesus. And I think a lot of times we'll read uh, stories where Jesus does miracles and things like that, and, and very rarely do I personally kind of take a step back and think, what must that have been like to be one of the guys that was following the guy who was doing these crazy things? What, what would that have been like to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of Jesus walking and talking and performing miracles here um, on planet Earth? And so um, I would love if you'd turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. As you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of a backstory to kind of prep you for what it is that we're about to pick up on in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Um, John the Baptist was imprisoned by King Herod because he spoke out um, against Herod taking his brother's wife for his own, and Herod did not like that, and so imprisoned John the Baptist. Meanwhile, as John was in prison, Herod was having a birthday party for himself, and essentially his niece dances at the party um, rather provocatively and was pleasing to all the people in this, uh, in this party. And uh, Herod was so pleased that he essentially says to her, like, I'll give you anything you want. That was, you're, you're, wow, that was awesome. Just ask me for anything and I'll give you anything. And, and so, you know, rather than saying, I want a pony or, you know, give me a new car, you know, something that, that maybe we'd ask for today. Her mother, a real classy lady, uh, whispers to her daughter and says, tell him that you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Like I said, real classy lady. Um, and King Herod is sitting there in front of all of his guests at his own birthday party and is kind of in like, oh, was not expecting that this request, um, but doesn't want to look embarrassed. And so he does it and um, orders that the, the head be cut off. And so the, they go in and they, they cut the head off of John the Baptist and, and give it to him on a platter. And the disciples come, they take uh, John's body and they bury it. And then they go and tell Jesus, what had happened. That's where we pick up in Matthew 14. I wonder if, you, if you'd stand up with me as we, re, as we honor the reading of God's word. We're going to pick it up in verse 13 together. And it says, um, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. We, we also learn in Mark's gospel um, in this same account of the same story, that Jesus doesn't go necessarily by himself, that he takes his closest disciples with him in the boat to withdraw, to, to get away, to, to get some rest, to um, maybe, whatever you want to call it, holiday, vacation, just to kind of withdraw. And uh, hearing of this, the, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replies, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fishes, they they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just thank you for, for your word. I thank you that you continually draw us to believe you for things that are outside of our wildest imaginations. There are some things that you've done that I can ra- maybe wrap my, my head around, and, then, and this is not one of them. Uh, I, I, I have a very hard time understanding what it would be to be a follower of you and, and you bringing me into this miracle of feeding all these people with such little resources. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today. I pray that for each and every single one of us, we would find ourselves in this story and that you'd lead us to trust you, to believe you, to increase our faith, to believe you for things that are beyond our own capabilities. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, I love this story. I referenced it last week in the message. Um, Jesus hears the news about his cousin, John the Baptist, this man who introduced him to the world as the Savior and the Messiah, and he baptizes him. The one who prepared the way for Jesus has been brutally beheaded. Um, And Jesus responds in verse 13, and we're going to walk down through it together. He responds this way. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, I need you to understand this. You know, this wasn't just like, oh, wow, this is a bummer of a day. We got some bad news. Let's get away. Let's let's retreat. Let's, Let's regroup. Let's figure this thing out. This was a common practice of Jesus. So if you were a follower of Jesus as he, you know, in his public ministry over those three years, like this was a common thing that you would have noticed Jesus doing and he would have included you in on that. Um, sometimes he would, he would get away by himself, literally, and sometimes he would say, okay, guys, let's withdraw, let's get away together. We see this in a few different scriptures. I just want to give these to you. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 6, 46, says, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Matthew 26, 36, says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. This is the normal thing that Jesus did in his ministry, the rhythm of his life. And if you're following the rhythms of Jesus, if we're taking a look at, okay, what would it be like to follow Jesus, to walk in the footsteps of of those people that actually followed him, um, it's important for us to realize that sometimes you need to withdraw so that you don't drop out. Now, there's a big difference in this context between withdrawing what he's doing here with his disciples and dropping out. 
What he's doing here, when we talk about withdrawing, that does not mean that he's backing out of responsibility or commitment. It does not mean that he's like, hey, take me off the schedule. I need some me time. I need to pray about where I'm, where I'm headed and all this kind of stuff. Um, that is not what Jesus is doing. Withdrawing is just taking time with his heavenly father to get refocused on why he's doing what he's doing so that he doesn't drop out. And that's essentially what it is that, that, that we need to be doing in our own lives, in our own callings. That we, that we get focused and say, God, I need, to, I need you to remind me again why it is that I'm doing what I'm doing. It's important for us to know the why behind the what. Because if we're just doing the what and the what and the what, we quickly lose focus. And, we, and then we get to the place where we get burned out and simply give up. And, and personally, like as a pastor, I've watched far too many you know, leaders and pastors and, and, and Christians running 100 miles per hour and never, t- never withdrawing, never taking some time to kind of like, okay, let's, get, let's regroup here. And whatever, what happens is they either fall into sin or they, they, they give up or worse. They're there, but they just are going through the motions, living life out of discipline, not out of passions on the inside of themselves. Kind of doing the what, but not really knowing the why behind the what. So if you don't take time, If you don't take time to withdraw, take time, maybe that's a a day of the week or an hour of your day or whatever that looks like, just to take time to kind of just reflect and say, Jesus, I need you to get alone with, with you again. We're on a slippery slope. This is, if it was so important to Jesus, how much more important should it be for you and I as we follow him? Amen? I mean, he was God incarnate. And last time I checked, I'm not. This is why it's one of our core values that, that we create space for God to fill. That we, that we need in our own lives a rhythm of creating space to, to withdraw, to be able to get alone with Jesus. Because if there's no space for God to fill, if we're all booked up with everything that we've got going on, then you need to create margin, essentially Sabbath, in our lives and in our days. Because sometimes we think, well, the way to not give up is to just not give up. Right? I think that's part of like our, our American culture and it bleeds into American Christianity as well. Like the way to not give up is I just need to work harder, work longer, press on, not give up. I just need to not let them see me cry. Like I just need to keep going. But if we follow Jesus' lead, then we quickly realize that the way to not, not give up is to actually withdraw. And it doesn't mean like I'm just going to keep going, keep going till I hit the wall and then I quit everything. It means I'm going to keep going, keep going. And you know what? Sometimes when things were going great, he says, whoa, we need to pause. Let's get away. Let's privately, let's, let's get away with our Heavenly Father. At those times when everything even seems like it's going, going wonderfully. So when was the last time that you withdrew? When was the last time that you just decided, you know what? I need to hit just pause right now. I don't need to quit everything that I'm doing. I just need to get the why behind the what that I'm doing so that I can press on and continue in what it is that God has has called me to. Amen? So Jesus and his closest disciples, they get in a boat, and um, they're they're literally heading somewhere where the crowds are not. They're going to an isolated place, which could be uh, the wilderness, the desert. They're going to some place where, where the people are not. In verse 13, it continues, and it says, I love this, hearing of this, The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. 
So I want you to just get your head wrapped around this as you're kind of like in the boat with Jesus and you guys are trying to get away from the crowds. The crowds hear that Jesus is getting some alone time with his disciples and they're like, I'll keep him company, right? They're like, so they're running along like, hey, Jesus. And they're like trying to row and they're like, oh crap, you know, like, come on. Hey, Jesus, hey, can I get a selfie with you? Where are you going? Oh, me too, me too, yeah. And they're just, they're running alongside the, the, the side of the water and they're just like, they're, they literally beat Jesus and his disciples to the place where they're headed. And I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of what it must have been like to be a follower of Jesus at this time because I guarantee you some of the thoughts were this, some vacation this is. Like, John the Baptist just lost his head. We need some respite. And everything that we're trying to escape from is chasing us down. Can't even get away from these people. And the crowd beats them there. We see it in verse 14. Read along with me. He says this. When Jesus landed, they, they, come, they finally come to the place, the uninhabited place, and saw a large crowd in the uninhabited place. It says that he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. I, I mean, even though he's hurting, even though he's grieving the loss of his cousin and the loss of John the Baptist, like even though he's trying to get some rest and regroup and all of those things, the Bible says that he had compassion on them. And if you look at the Greek word, the actual word means that the, that compassion like overwhelmed him, that it came from his stomach, that it came from his gut, from his bowels. Like, and I don't mean that in a weird way. I just mean that, have you ever had something where like it doesn't really make sense to you, but all of a sudden it just rises up in the inside of you and you just know that God is calling you to that. It just rises up. In other words, Jesus can't, he just can't, he gets a case of I can't help myself. He cannot help himself but to help others that need help. And so he comes on, he lands, and what I'm sure his followers saw as an interruption, Jesus sees as an opportunity, and he starts ministering to the crowd that they were all trying to avoid, and, and Jesus ministers to them all day long. Like, he doesn't just, like, throw out a few things and, hey, bless you all, bless you all. You know, he, he ministers to them all day long. Because, honestly, and if it were me, if I was with Jesus and we get off the boat and there's a huge crowd, this is what I would be tempted to do. I would be tempted to be like, would you all just get away from us? Can I just, we get one day. You're a bunch of vultures. You know what I mean? Like, can you not tell that we're trying to get away from you? Like, and, and this, but that's just me. I know that's not you. I'm just being honest. Like, that's, that's how I would be processing some of this stuff. Because why? Because I was thinking that this was going to be like some sort of a vacation and, and the brochures and everything. I'd have this all set. And Jesus, I think, is teaching his followers something here. In other words, he's like, hey, guys, look, 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 look. We may be withdrawing, but that doesn't mean that we're dropping out. We, you know, we, we, may, we may have had other plans and like this is, don't worry, we're going to get away. But this doesn't mean that we can just look at people like they're obstacles in the way of what I want. Because following Jesus sometimes means, many times means, that we are moved beyond our own personal pain. And that's never a, that, I, I know I'm not going to get it. Amen. Raving the hankies on that one. But following Jesus time and time and time and time and time again, 
he moves us to look past our own personal pain. And this is so significant. And we see this time and time again. And it's important for me to understand this because why? Because I'm probably like a lot of you that I want to compartmentalize ministry into a role or a position or a Sunday morning. Like this is when Jesus shows up and we do our thing and we come to church and then, and then we can withdraw. Like I come on a Sunday and then I'm going to withdraw and I can focus on other things like me and, and things like, like me. And then other times me, and sometimes, no, me. Like th- th- I, then I can focus on other things, but I'm going to come and I'm going to compartmentalize my life. And Jesus is always reminding his followers that following him is not a part-time gig. It's not something that you can turn on and off and say, well, I, I came, this is when I serve, and this is when I love people, and this is when I do church, and this is when I'm a Christian, and then I can go and I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to focus on other things that are more important to me. At any given moment, sometimes following Jesus moves us beyond our own personal pain. Because we can get to a place where it's like, okay, I'm just, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm waiting for the pain to stop. The problem is, is that we live in a broken world and there's pain all over the place. And, and if we're waiting for the, for the pain to stop or things, things to end, we could be waiting for a very long time. And what I find is that following Jesus means that your pain might be a platform for you to minister to others that are in pain. And we'll never see it unless we're willing to allow him to lead us to move beyond our own personal pain to see others that we might be able to help and to cause that struggle, that sin, those things that have been, that, that, we're, that maybe we're still in process over, that God's wanting to use that as a platform to help other people that are in pain as well. So the disciples are they're obviously like emotionally and physically tired. They're, they're, they're wiped out as I can only imagine what it must be to follow Jesus and, and all of the crowds and all of these people. And they're confused about why, what happened to John the Baptist? Like, he died? What do you mean he died? It was bad enough he was in prison. Like, he's, he's dead? And they're confused about like, why, why didn't Jesus do anything about that? Is that what's going to happen to us? I think we're like following him and like it's pretty cool because he's like God and you know he's going to help us in those situations and stuff and they're, they're confused and they're like, this little vacation has not turned out like we thought it was going to. Did you get the brochure? Because I got the brochure and it did nothing. It's not turning out the way that, and Jesus continues to minister all day long. I mean, that's a long day. Verse 15, it's getting dark. It's getting dark. It says this, as evening approached, the disciples came to him, and they're like, "Um, Jesus, this is a remote place. In other words, we're in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where we are. And it's already getting late. Jesus, you need to send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. They must be starving. Now, you know that they weren't all that concerned about feeding everybody else. What were they concerned about? I'm starving. So they must be starving. You ever, when you're starving, you feel like everybody must be hungry. Like, like, we all need to eat right now, right? Yeah, because I'm hungry, so therefore everybody must be. Now, they don't know. It's not like they went around to all these 5,000 or 15,000 people, and they're like taking a poll. Hey, this is for Jesus. We're just, how hungry are you? 
Like, not hungry, I could eat, or really starving. Like, what does this look like for you? They don't even care. Like, this is what's really going on. They need to take a break and to eat something, and they're in an uninhabited place. The Bible says that there were 5,000 men, not including women and children, which means that there were probably more like fifteen to 20,000 people in this crowd. It's ridiculous. Fifteen to 20,000 people in a crowd that needed to eat something in a place where there was no Taco Bell. I don't know what we're going to do. And I love Jesus' response to his followers. Imagine him saying this to you. Verse 16. Jesus replies... They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. What? What? Like, what are you talking about? Have you not seen this crowd? Like, there's, there's a ridiculous amount of people. Jesus, I, I'm, I'm estimating around 15,000 people are in this crowd. We do not have enough food for ourselves, let alone for all of these people. And this is what they respond in verse 17. And I love how they know exactly how much food they have. They're like, Jesus, we have only one, two, three, four, five loaves of bread and two little fishies. That is it. And these are not loaves of bread like sliced loaves, right? This is, these are small little like pita breads, right? Little, little loaves and then like a couple dried fish. This is not like the salmon that you got um, in your ice fishing last weekend. Like this, these are small little fish and small loaves. And what I love about this is that they knew exactly how much they had. Why? Because when you're hungry, you be counting French fries. Isn't that true? There's no French fry that goes unnoticed. Like that, you take out your French fries and you see a couple fall into the bag. There's not like, ah, who cares about those casualties of war? You know what I mean? Like, no, you're like, there are three in the bottom and they're all mine. Like they, because they fell out of mine. And so like there's a reality here going on that these guys are hungry. They know exactly how much food they have and they got a tight rein on it. Even so much so that if you read in John's gospel, the same account, I'm reading in between the lines, but they probably all but beat up a little kid to get his lunch. They're like, I don't know, this little kid gave us some food. He gave it to you? Yeah, gave it to me, right? Like, I mean, they literally have five loaves and two fishes from a little kid. I don't know how else you get that. Verse 18, this is what Jesus says to them. Well, bring them here to me. What? Like all the filet of fish? Like all the french fries, Jesus? Like you want, I'm going to give you all that I have right here. He says, yeah, bring it here to me. Okay. You're Jesus. So they give him the five loaves and two fishes. Jesus turns to the crowd of people and he says, Everybody, sit down on the grass. Somehow communicates, My followers are going to be feeding you shortly. You got to be like, Are you kidding me, dude? Like, what are you talking about? I mean, you got like a muzzle on Jesus, like, Hey, guys, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Silly Jesus. Ah, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You know what I mean? Like, where is he? Who gave him these talking points? All right, boys, it's over. Jesus for president is finished. Like, this is not happening. Listen, it's been really great getting to know you 12, like you 11, except for you, Judas. You've always creeped me out. But, like, it's been good getting to know the rest of you. But it's over. Like, we're done. The jig is up. 
And it's, it's this thing that I think that it's important for us to realize that we all have the benefit, you and I do, of knowing the rest of the story. Because we can look at these guys and be like, come on, dude, like, you know he's going to like, there's my sound. And it's going to grow and you're going to all of a sudden like have enough to feed all these people, but they don't know that. They're just looking at what they have and saying, there's nothing that I can do because all they can see is their lack. They cannot see how Jesus is going to make up for it. And it's the same problem that we face as we walk as followers of Jesus, trusting him, believing him. Okay, Lord, I'm ready to honor you and what it is that you're asking me to do. Very often we cannot see the provision of God because all we can see is the problem. And the problem always seems insurmountable. Like you don't have enough, it's not going to work out, I don't know how this is going to happen, and Jesus says, just give me what you've got. It's like, ah, I, 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 don't, I don't really know what, 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 what that's supposed to look like. But there are going to be times, and maybe you're walking through a season like this right now, there are going to be times where, where, where Jesus is, is giving you a vision for something that is larger than you can accomplish on your own with your own resources. There are going to be times where where Jesus is going to announce that he's going to feed 15,000 people with what you have to offer. And you're going to be like, "I, I, I, I don't have anything. I have nothing to offer. And he's literally going to be saying, I, I know, but I, I want you to not just focus on your lack. I'm wanting you to focus on what I want to do with what you have in your hand. And all you're going to see are the problems and the obstacles and the re- like realistically, rationally, logically, this, this cannot happen. I do not have enough. And Jesus is essentially saying, I know. It's kind of the point. It's kind of the point here. You're getting it slow. You're slow, but, but you're getting it. Let me remind you of something in verse 21. I love this. The number of those who ate were about, we said this, 5,000 men. And I know it's not politically correct. Besides women and children. So let me just rewind here for a second. You look in John's gospel. Where did they get the five loaves and two fishes from? A child. Isn't it interesting to you that when you follow Jesus, miracles come through sources that you don't even count. But I don't have enough. I know. That's the beauty of following me. I actually count sources that you don't even count. 5,000 men, excluding women and children, and the, and the source of the miracle happens from a small child. He fed 15,000 through the service of a kid that wasn't even counted. And so you may be thinking, well, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have enough. All I have is lack. I just want to remind you this morning that God likes to use the unlikely, and he loves those who are overlooked, and he continually uses us. And so I would say to you this morning, be careful before you count somebody out, especially if it's you. Well, I don't, I don't have enough. I, 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 don't have, I don't have what it takes. I, I didn't go to Bible college. I, 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 I know. I know, but when you're following Jesus, what I love about Jesus is this. He doesn't minimize what you have to offer. He multiplies it. We like to minimize what we have to offer. And he's like, look, if you just trust me in this, then we can build on it. 
We'll move from, from trust to trust. We'll move from, from faith to faith. When we want to minimize, God says, just give me what you have and I'll multiply it. Watch what I can do. Verse 19. This is where the wheels come off in my own brain. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he, and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And something happens between verse 19 and verse 20 that I, I, I just, I, I don't have a place or a box to put it in. But here's the thing that I want us to remind us again is that we all have the benefit of knowing how the story ends, but I want you to imagine what it must have been like to, to be a disciple as Jesus rips a half of a pita bread, hands you one of them, and says, okay, now go feed. Make it last. You're just like, you're staring at a crowd of 15,000 people with a half of a pita. Just like, oh my gosh. One or you're thinking, feed who? That guy? Is that, is, that, is that who you want me to feed? No, no, feed them. And there's something that happens. The miracle happens as they hand over what they have in their hand, which seems like nothing, that, that God multiplies it. And it doesn't make sense, and we don't know. And, and it must have, they must have been thinking, like, this is the most insane thing I've ever done. Like, I... I, it's not enough, and it's never going to be enough, and I don't know how this is going to happen. But what I've found, as, as I've grown in my own walk with Christ, as I've come from faith to faith, is that one person's normal is another person's radical. What I mean by that is what you look at somebody else, and you're like, man, I can't even believe that they're doing that, that they have faith for God in that. That's your radical. They're looking at it as their normal. And they have other people that they're out looking at. I can't even believe that that how do you have faith to do that? And the person that has faith to do that is saying, that's just my normal. One person's normal is another person's radical. And we get to this place, that's why the Bible talks about growing from faith to faith. Because we grow and we come up to this place where it's not a place of superiority, but it's a place of trusting Jesus. Why? Because he's proved himself faithful. So you can trust him. You come to this place of like, I, I just don't, and, and I look at these disciples and I'm like, dude, you guys are my radicals. Why? Because they've been following Jesus around. They've watched him heal blind eyes. They've watched him, you know, people that were lame get up and walk and run. He, he, they've watched him, literally at this point in the game, they've watched him raise someone from the dead. They've also been commissioned and empowered and given authority to go out and do what Jesus did, and they did it. And yet this is too radical for the radicals. They're just like, I, I don't know how this is going to work. This this literally does not make sense to me. And so they just start handing out what they had in their hands and the miracle literally happens in the palms of their hands. Th this miracle happens in giving away what they're holding on to. And it must have gone against every rational, logical bone in their body because I think that they thought a lot like you and I do, which is this. If I have need, if I have lack, the only way to get it is to beat up a little boy and take his lunch money. 
If I have lack and I have need, the only way to get more is to spend and save and squander and look out for myself. The only way, if I have need and I have lack, the only way that I'm going to actually get to the positive is to do something, but nobody's going to look out for me and i got to hold on to this and hoard it and have a really tight rein on that half a piece of pita. Because if I give this thing up, then i got nothing. And I just find that Jesus is continually reminding his followers, and I think it's so important for us to get, that when you offer what you hold in your hand, he provides you more than you can hold in your hand. And it doesn't make sense, and it's like, I, I, I have no idea what to do with that, Pastor Justin. I understand that. All I know is that it's a kingdom principle that when, when you give over that which you hold in your hand, he's able to do far more than what you can hold in your hand. And I used to read this, this scripture and I used to think that it was all about like the feeding of the 5,000 and like, oh, all these hungry people, isn't it so great? They have full bellies and Jesus worked a miracle. But the more I read it, the more I look into this, the more I realize that it was about Jesus teaching his followers something. That he was bringing them in on a miracle, bringing them in and growing them in their faith and teaching them a, a principle that he didn't want them to forget. What if God is reminding us, I could have fed the multitude with a saltine cracker and a tuna fish sandwich. What? I, I could have fed God with a rock. Do you really think that it had anything to do with the five loaves and the two fish? It's like, I mean, if it was four loaves and two fish, would Jesus be like, oh, if it was five, we could do this thing, but it just, the math doesn't work. Like, no, come on. It doesn't matter what they had to give. It was the fact that they gave. That which they were holding on to and thinking, ah, this is really just for me, and really we're just going to kind of split this up between the 12 of us. If you could send all of these people away, then we would be taken care of. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you're not getting this. The miracle happens when you offer what you hold in your hand to him, and he does something that you could never do on your own. And I would say to you this, if you get nothing else out of today, it's this. If you are continually looking at what you have to be the determiner of what God wants to do, then you will always be caught up short. If you are continually looking at what you have in your hands to be the determiner of what God wants to do in your life, you will always be caught up short because the miracle is not in what you have to offer. The miracle is when you offer what you have to him. And he does what only he could do with it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Verse 20, uh, I love this because it just goes to show you how outlandish this miracle is. It says that they all ate, all 15 to 20,000 of them ate and were full, satisfied, engorged. And the disciples picked up how many? Twelve. Twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I don't know about you, but I always think, whenever I read this, I'm like, where did the baskets come from? Really, was this just one of those like hidden miracles? Like Jesus was like, oh yeah, we're going to need some baskets. You know what I mean? Like here's some baskets to hold the leftovers, guys. Because nobody's coming carrying baskets, empty baskets with nothing in them. 
They fill up 12 basketfuls of leftover pieces. <laughs> and what's significant about the number 12? The 12 disciples. The ones who were holding on to the five loaves and two fishes, right? They, 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 they thought, okay, this is what I need to hold on to. I think God is communicating that there is always more than enough to feed, not just the 15,000 crowd, but leftovers for you and the other 11. There's always more, as he is more than enough. He is more than enough. See, I, the thing I love about Jesus, and I hope that one of the reasons that, that you love him and that you've fallen in love with him too, is that he never seeks out people that really can give him much of anything. <laughs> I mean, he... He doesn't seek out like the, the kings and, and the rich people and the dignitaries and those that have wealth or things, popularity. He seeks out like the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the rejects and the rebels and, and the poor and the sick. And these are the people that he seeks out. Why? Because those people can never look back and say, I did that. Did you see what I did? no big deal. I'm just <laughs> hashtag blessed, right? Like, it's fine. No, it's really nothing. It's really nothing. It's really nothing. Please stop. Please stop. They can never look back and say, wow, did you see what I did? All they have is to look at Jesus and say, I don't know how you did that with my nothing, with my lack with my account in the red, I have no idea how or why you would even want to be around me, let alone take that which I look at as a lack and make it into something great. That's what I love about Jesus. And here's the thing. He only ever asks us to give what we have today. You know, sometimes I think like, well, I mean, one day... I'm, I'm going to give you something, Lord. Like one day, I, I, he doesn't ask us to give what other people have or what we wish we had. Or if, you, if I hit the mega millions, then, I, then I would, I, that's what I would give. Like he doesn't ask us to give what you're going to have tomorrow. He just says, what do you have in your hand today? Give it to me and allow me to use it. Just today. What do you have today? Just give it to me here. See what I can do. You know, I was even just thinking about, as Pastor Jeff was sharing about, about what God's been able to do in India, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have come to know Jesus Christ. How? From just whatever we had that day, we, we gave, we, we invested it. And God works an astounding miracle from a little church in the middle of the universe, Biddeford, Maine, and the disciples, just like us, they're like, well, I only have five loaves and two fish. And he's like, okay, well, give me your only and, and give it to me and, and see what I can do with it. And what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just pay off our debt. He doesn't just get us to zero. He gives us credit. The Bible says that faith is credited to us as righteousness. And so many times we come to Jesus just thinking, God, if you could just, if you could just forgive me from all the junk that's happened, all the stuff that I've done, then, then if I could just get to zero, I'm in the red right now, and it's in the negatives, and I, I you know, I've, I've, I, this is not working out. If you could just bring it to zero, then I could do something. Jesus says, I don't want to just bring you to zero. 
I forgive you your debts and then I credit to you his righteousness. That's the good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. He has the best return policy around where you take your junk, worn out, sin-filled life and say, God, I, I, I need something better than this. And he says, fine, you give it to me. Give me what's in your hand. Allow me to give you something that is so much better than you could ever even hope or imagine. So I just want to pray with you right now. Maybe this is for you today. You came in here today and you're like, I, I, I've never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Like, I want to follow a leader like this. I want to follow someone like this. And if that's a possibility, that I can have a relationship with the, with the, the creator of the universe and, and a God like this, then I want to follow him. But I don't feel like I have enough. I don't feel like I've done enough. I haven't, I haven't made up for my sins and I still feel like I'm in the red. That, I just want to tell you, this is the best day for you. Because Jesus said, just give me it. Give me your brokenness. Give me your life. Give me the junk. Give me all the stuff that you see as lack and allow me to credit to you as righteousness through my, my death, burial, and resurrection. And so if you're in that place today, I just want to pray. And I, I love you to pray, pray this prayer with me. And it's very simple. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a heart, heart cry to, to your Father in heaven. Jesus, been trying to do this thing on my own and it's not working out and I desperately need a savior and I know I haven't done enough to deserve it and I know that I'm in the red pretty bad but Lord if you can forgive these sins and credit to me as righteousness then I invite you to take what I have in my hands today. Take my life. I surrender to you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit to give me the grace to live this life that you've called me to live. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any prayer needs in any area of your life, maybe this is a time for you to withdraw. I'm just going to encourage you. If you're at a place where you're like, you know what? I, I have not withdrawn in so, so long, and, 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 I, and I, I normally don't ever withdraw. I, I sit in my seat and I do my thing. I just want to encourage you. Maybe today is a day where you choose to say, I'm going to step out and I'm going to withdraw because there are needs in my life that I know that I can't do on my own, that I can't fill. I've been trying to and I've been holding on and thinking if I just press harder and, and just by, by sheer grit, it's going to happen. But I'm choosing to withdraw today. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. As we have been hearing your whisper to us today, Lord, I pray that we would take a step forward to withdraw, to get alone with you, to allow, allow you to remind us of why we do what we do so that we don't quit. Lord, I thank you that you are more than enough you are more than enough.